0: Things to remember, things to remember. I I am well past that point in life where if I really want to remember something, I have to write it down. Um, And even if it's it's a, a matter of some importance and it has a time attached to it, um, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you have a smartphone, you can use it like a daytimer, uh, a calendar that you used to write things down in. You can tell your phone at a certain time on a certain day to remind you of a certain thing, and you can set it to do that some, some distance off. And when the day approaches, whatever, however you have set that up for, uh, it'll, it'll tell you on August 29th. Don't forget, it's your anniversary. <laughs> uh, I, 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 did, I did that once, but it was okay because my wife just so happened she forgot on the same day, the same year. So we both forgot it was okay. Okay. Um, things to remember. Jesus said at the Last Supper with his disciples as they were taking the cup and the bread and partaking of that together, he said, do this often in remembrance of me. Do it often in remembrance of me. And as I have thought about this numbers of times past, I, I have wondered about the different details. What would I remember? Obviously, Jesus wants us to remember that this is a, 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 it's a reminder that He gave His body. His body was broken and His blood was spilled as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Uh, It's obvious that He wants us to remember that He is coming back again, and uh, that we need to be ready when He returns. But as I have thought often about the story and wondered, you know, if I had been there with the disciples in the upper room at the Last Supper, what would I remember? And one thing that I know I would not have forgotten would probably have been singing with Jesus. Um, some of you perhaps don't really care about music. I've talked with people um, who have said, you know, I can take it or leave it. It's okay, it, you know, but I can take it or leave it. It doesn't, it's not that big of a deal to me. And I, I, I can't Um, you know I'm I'm the person that goes into the restaurant and almost no matter what's playing in the background I just it it connects with me at a at a physical level and I will whether I want to or not I will find myself tapping my foot or or nodding my head and um then if I tune in and hear the music or hear what the song's about, sometimes I say, Oh, I, I need to tune in I need to tune that out. I don't want that in my head. I don't want that in my mind. Um, but recorded both in Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. And also Mark chapter 14 and verse 26, you don't have to turn there, but both of these verses are portions of the account of Jesus and the Last Supper with his disciples, and those are both verses that say at the end of their meal together they sang a hymn, and then they left the upper room to go to the Mount of Olives. Now, what was probably taking place with Jesus and his disciples is what we now refer to or we hear referred to as a Seder, uh, S-E-D-E-R. How many of you have ever participated in a Seder or a cedar? One, two, our, yeah, a couple over here. Our family, we've done our own at our house. Um, it's, it's interesting to do. The Seder is uh, the ritual feast at the beginning of the Jewish Uh, holiday of Passover. It is uh, conducted throughout the world on on the same day, the 15th day of Nisan on the Hebrew calendar. Uh, The day falls usually in late March or in April. Um, We connect it with Easter. And then in Israel, Passover lasts for seven days, and anywhere outside of Israel, it lasts for eight days. Jews traditionally observe one seder if they're in Israel, and if they're in what is called the diaspora, or they are part of the Jewish community outside of Israel, they have two seders. But the seder is a a feast, a meal, a ritual meal uh, that involves a retelling of the story of the liberation of the Israelites from slavery in ancient Egypt. And everything is symbolic. From the, uh, their bitter herbs that are supposed to remind them of certain things. There, there's a way that they're dressed, and and uh, then there's, uh, oh, there's uh, bread that uh, we know and we'll we'll partake of it in a little bit. Unleavened bread, um, just numbers of different aspects of the Seder meal, but. One of the things that would happen in every seder ritual is the singing of a psalm. In each one, there are there are three songs uh, that are sung as part of the uh, part of the seder ritual. Three different three different parts. Um, I guess you would say either three songs or three parts of the same song. Um, the first. Comes from Psalm one thirteen and one fourteen. Uh, those uh, are part of the what is called the Hallel songs. Um, does that word sound familiar to you? Anybody know you know the word Hallel? Hallel, and you ever hear anybody say Hallelujah? We 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 probably don't say it as often as we should. You hear that more often in in uh, Pentecostal churches, but uh, it's a good word. Hallelujah is just a word that means praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And uh, I think we ought to do it more often, don't you? Amen. That's good. Praise the Lord. Um, These uh, titles come from these words, uh, come from this psalm, Psalm 113. It's actually Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 that are considered the Hallel songs, and uh, the the main reason is because they all uh, focus around this idea of praise. If you look up the word uh, Hallel, if you have an interlinear Bible, that is a Bible that shows you both the English and the Hebrew side by side. Anytime you see the word praise, you'll see a, a Hallel beside it. So the first song in the, in the earlier part of the Seder would be taken from these two chapters, Psalm 113 and 114. And then the second, uh, toward, more towards the end, would be taken from Psalm 115 through Psalm 118. It might be all of them or it might be portions of these psalms. And then the final one that would be the concluding uh, song or, or hymn or psalm, however you want to say it, would be from Psalm 136. Psalm 136 is called the Great Hallel, and it also is a a psalm that focuses on praise. So these probably were some of the songs, at least perhaps all or maybe portions of them, uh, would have been the songs that Jesus would have sung together with his disciples at the Last Supper when they were partaking together of the Passover meal. We're not going to take the time to dig into all of these, uh, but just to look at a few of them, uh, we see common themes. Obviously, uh, one theme would be praise because we already said they are the Hillel songs. They are praising God, and so every one of them will have some type of of, uh, worship or praise to offer to Jehovah, uh, to God. Psalm 115 is interesting uh, because it uh, says, uh, first of all, it, it focuses on the idea simply that there is a God. There is a one true God. Verse, uh, Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? O Israel, trust in the Lord. Here is the second part of the theme. Not only uh, that there is a God, but that the God in heaven, the God of Israel, is a God who is trustworthy. Here we begin to hear the antiphonal worship. Uh, You know what antiphonal is. Antiphonal is a a type of worship uh, that is call and response. Similar to what we sometimes do on Sunday mornings when we have responsive readings and I as the leader will call out uh, a, a passage of scripture and then you will respond with a passage. And that's often what would take place. Now, it, it, the poetic nature of this does not come through uh, as we read it in our English. But it's very interesting. You can, uh, if you have access to YouTube, you can look it up sometime and, and find uh, Jewish people singing these songs. Uh, they're actually uh, singing from the Psalms. It's their songbook. And it's more of a, uh, uh, it, some of it can be very rhythmic uh, it's uh, sometimes it's chanting, uh, then other forms. There's actually one lady a number of years ago who believed that she had deciphered the uh, the uh, the marks from the Masoretic text, the some of the original manuscripts of the Hebrew Bible, and uh, she. I, I'm not sure how accurate it is, but she believed that she had somehow decoded what those marks meant and transposed or transliterated them into actual music. And you can hear examples of that on YouTube. And some of it's, very, it's quite beautiful. It's not like the way we sing when we sing in church, but uh, it's, it's some of it very beautiful music. And so they're, they're singing and they're calling and responding, and we can hear it here in verses 9 through 11. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. So you, you would maybe have the leader calling out the, the beginning part. Here's maybe what the leader would say. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. And then the audience would respond. He is their help and their shield. You, you find every once in a while these phrases that repeat. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. And again, it repeats, He is their help and their shield. So I can imagine being with Jesus in the upper room and having Jesus lead in worship to His Father, to Yahweh, and being, a number, being in the number of those disciples as they sang together. Praising God. One of the things that's quite interesting about these passages, though, that they sang together is that in many of them, they have a recurrent theme that focuses on death, Um, which is interesting when you consider that this is Jesus just before he goes to the cross. He's leading his disciples in worship. He himself knows that he is going to the cross and this is, this is, these are the words, possibly, that he's leading them uh, in. Uh, verse 17 of Psalm 115. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. It, it gets even richer in my mind as I study these passages. We move on to Psalm 116. Psalm 116 seems to look ahead to Gethsemane. You remember Gethsemane is that garden, that place where Jesus prayed to the Father and said, Father, if possible, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Psalm 116 talks about being in a deadly danger. Verse number three says, The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of the grave laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. There is a prayer for deliverance. And also there is seemingly an acknowledgement that deliverance has been given. And praise for that deliverance. Isn't that interesting that Jesus perhaps even before going to the cross knowing he's going to lay his life down he's leading his uh, his disciples in a song of worship that talks about death And dying, and then a prayer for deliverance, and then praising God that He has delivered. Look at verse number five. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. He preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. Verse number eight. You have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Just, I can't help when I, when I read this and imagine Jesus and his disciples singing their way through these words. Jesus knowing he's going to the cross and yet still singing, I will praise the Lord, I will bless the Lord in the land of the living. What interests me most about Psalm 116 is the idea of drinking the cup, drinking the cup. This is fascinating. I mentioned to you a moment ago that this kind of looks ahead, this passage looks ahead to Gethsemane, also looks ahead to the resurrection. And the psalmist here asks the question um, about expressing gratitude gratitude. How will I uh, thank God for his benefits to me? Verse number 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. Can you imagine Jesus saying these words, O Lord, I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane? Lord, if possible, would you let this cup pass from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Father, I will drink the cup. I will drink the cup. We're going to skip over Psalm 117. Incidentally, just to give you a little bit of Bible trivia, some of you probably already know this, Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 118 is the middle chapter of the Bible. And if you want to know the middle verse of the Bible, the the very center of your Bible is verse number 8 of Psalm 118 that says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Think of the failure of the disciples, the followers of Jesus on this occasion. Jesus is enjoying the, the, the ritual of Passover with his disciples, the feast of Passover. They, he, they're about to go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to pray. On their way, uh, as they go from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, this is something else that's quite interesting, um, Jesus is talking to them as they leave the upper room And they walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. I believe it's John 14 through John 17. It's an interesting study to think about. Everything from John 14 to John 17 or John 15 to John 17. Something like that. Those are all... that's That's what Jesus is talking to his disciples about. Between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane. They're walking on the way. That's something you can look at on your own time. But it's interesting, they all forsook him and fled, the Bible says. They all left him alone. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when he is in great agony and turmoil of soul, and, and he is asking, telling his disciples, and then his closest three, Peter, James, and John, and he says, Pray with me, for I am in great agony of soul. And and he goes to pray by himself a little further and then comes back and he finds all the disciples asleep. They couldn't stay awake, and he says, could you not pray with me for one hour? And then they all forsook him and fled. It is better, Psalm 118, verse 8, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. But then, as I look at this further, I see so clearly the faith of Jesus. We don't often think of Jesus as having faith, or at least I don't. We think faith. Of course, Jesus had faith. Um, he was, after all, the incarnate, uh, the incarnation of God. Of course, he had faith. But, but we see it here in Psalm 118, the words of the psalmist, and and. Um, I do realize that some of this is, is perhaps speculation, but it's good. It's, it's well-founded. These are most likely some of the words, the songs sung with Jesus, Jesus and his disciples. And verse 17, if you can imagine Jesus singing these words together with his disciples, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. Do you hear an anticipation of the resurrection there? Open to me the gates of righteousness. That's, I don't know about you, but that's what I hear. I hear just an anticipation of the resurrection That I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then finally, Psalm 136. I said there were three songs that would have been sung as part of the Passover feast and the, the concluding song would have been taken from Psalm 136. We won't take the time uh, to read it, but if you take just a quick look, you will see that there is one phrase that repeats itself over and over and over throughout Psalm 136. And it is simply this, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. His love endures forever. It just repeats over and over and over again. And it is a wonderful climax celebrating not just the deliverance of the Israelites out of the bondage of Egypt, but it also celebrates God's faithfulness and His unfailing covenant love. It is love for His people based on His own promise and not on humanity's performance. And we know that God's love is like that because we read in his word that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is love based on God's promise, not on our own performance. And I can just imagine Jesus with the disciples singing and repeating the wonderful works of the Lord and saying over and over again, his love is endures forever. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And Jesus, knowing that he is about to go and give the clearest demonstration that the world has ever seen or will ever see of the love of God for fallen humanity, his love endures forever. Jesus says, do this often in remembrance of me. And I think I would certainly remember Singing together with the Lord. Amen. As we prepare to partake.